Welcome to the LifePoint Palm Bay Sermon Podcast. We encourage you to make copies of this message, but please don't charge for those copies. If you'd like to know more about LifePoint Palm Bay, please visit lifepointpb.com. Uh, ushers have Bibles. If you need one, just wave at them, and they'll be happy to pass one to you if you left your Bible at home or in the car. We put the scripture on the overhead, but I encourage you to have a copy of God's Word of your own that you open up and look at. Trust that what I'm saying to you is true. And when you have a Bible, you can turn to two places, Matthew chapter 5 and 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Matthew chapter 5 and 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to get back into... um, I was away for a couple of weeks, and then last week we did the Lord's Supper, but we're going to get back into the Sermon on the Mount, and we're at verse 27 now in Matthew chapter 5 as we continue to walk through this. Jesus' first public teaching of his ministry is happening here in Matthew chapter 5, called the Sermon on the Mount. It starts with the Beatitudes. We went through those. The blessed are. You're blessed if if this is the case and this is the case. We went through that, and then Jesus has begun to kind of unpack all of that and to go into some very specific topics. This morning, as we get to verse 27, he's going to begin to talk about some very practical and personal issues. I would say this too, uh, before we go any further. Um, Parents or grandparents, if you have smaller children that are sitting with you this morning, and you don't want to have any type of conversation about sexual matters on the way home today. If you're not prepared for that, you might want to take them to Elevate or whatever. At this point, you're free to do that. Uh, I'm going to always be appropriate, but there, there is sexual content in what Jesus talks about today, all right? So just so you know, that little public service announcement there, all right? <laughs> Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. Jesus says, you've heard, where had they heard? He says, you've heard, where did they hear? The Pharisees had told them, what were the Pharisees teaching them? What, what was it they were teaching them? The law, right? You had the law. Matter of fact, this, this particular teaching came right out of the Ten Commandments. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, now Jesus, as he goes through this, and you're going to see this in the weeks to come, he's going to put out a truth that they acknowledge, something they recognize, and he's going to say, I'm going to take you deeper. You're looking at it simply from one perspective. At a surface level, I'm going to take you deeper. And he does that beginning here. You, have, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent, make sure you read that carefully for what it says. He's not saying everyone who looks at a woman. Okay, we walk around, ooh, I can't look at a woman, all right? He's not saying you can't look at a woman. He's saying don't look at a woman with lustful intent. If you do this, you've already committed adultery with her in your heart. Now, can I stop and make clarification here? Because some, and I've heard some teach that that they would say that if you have a lustful thought, if you look at a woman with lustful intent, or vice versa, a woman looking at a man with lustful intent, though it seems obviously often to be more common the other way, that that is the same as committing adultery. That's the, that's the same as a sexual act. The Bible doesn't teach that. It doesn't teach that it is the same. Jesus is not teaching that here. Obviously, the sexual act has different connotations with it, okay? It has different ramifications. It is not the same. However, the heart behind them is. The heart behind a lustful look is the same heart behind a sexual act that's, that's outside of God's design your life all right so you need to understand this jesus is taking this very very seriously and so should we sexual purity is a huge huge deal to jesus it's a big deal he makes it a big deal he he makes it important and and he does so right here he says i want you to understand you thought you're really good you pat yourself on the back because you haven't committed adultery all right because you haven't been with another woman who's not your wife all right and you pat yourself on the back that you haven't done that he says i want you to understand you think you're self-righteous because of this but if your heart desires it and that goes unchecked you're not willing to address that and deal with that i want you to understand it's the same heart it's sin nonetheless It's sin whether you act on it. It's sin whether you just long for it inwardly. 
That's strong, isn't it? By the way, this is a message that's very relevant for today. We live in a sex-saturated culture. And unfortunately, the picture that, that is given by the world, and sometimes even by Christians, is not, it's not a clear, appropriate, biblical picture. Now, can I say this before we go any further? And I have to say this. Sex is not a dirty word, okay? It is not. It is not dirty. It is not, it's not seedy. It's not, you know, it's not something that, well, you have to do because you got to have kids. It is not any of the, sex is God's idea. And it is a wonderful, beautiful thing. It has a number, at least half a dozen different purposes that God designed in it. But one of them is just the pure pleasure and connection of it. All right? And God is not a fuddy-duddy. All right? He's not a prune. All right? He doesn't say, okay, I'm watching over you, except when you have sex, I can't look at that. He does not do that. All right? He created it, and it is a good thing. And we need to make sure that as we're communicating to our children and to our grandchildren, that, that we don't make sex seem dirty. Because it's not. It is God's idea. He thought it up. He created it and designed it. On the other hand, what man has done with it often is destructive and damaging. And God says, I've got a plan for you. And it's a good plan. I want you to enjoy this to the fullest. I want you to enjoy sex. I want you to enjoy this relationship between a man and a woman in ways you can't even imagine. But I want to put boundaries around it because if you adhere to those boundaries, you'll experience what I designed it for. If you violate those boundaries, you'll never experience the very thing that you're longing for and you're searching for. And if we took time this morning, I could have testimony after testimony of a person come up here and they would tell you that is true that they violated God's plan and his design in sexual matters, and it was never fulfilling. But when we submit to God's plan, then we experience the satisfaction that he intended. That's what Jesus is getting to here. He's saying, I want you to understand that this is more than just an issue of a physical act. There's a hard attitude at play here, okay? Look at the next verse with me. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away, okay? This is... A teaching tool, not an actual command, all right? Jesus is not telling you, we come into church and everybody's got one eye. Well, he dealt with his lust this week, all right? That is not what he's saying, okay? It is not literal here, and to go tear your eye out. And, or if, you know, if, if your hand, to cut it off, that will fix one problem and create, create 100 more, okay? That's not what he's saying. What he is saying is, take this seriously and take action. Okay, don't just, don't just say, well, I'm just a red-blooded male. I'm just, I just am who I am. It's just the way God made me. No, he said, take this seriously. And I speak to men and all this because generally speaking, this is an issue that is more, pre more prevalent among men. Scientifically speaking, men have a stronger sex drive than women. That is not always the case. In 25 to 30% of the cases, that is not true. But in most cases, that is true. All right? And the reality is, is that men are very visually stimulated. And so I think that's why when Jesus is talking here, he's talking to men. Because he realizes his audience. And this is something that is, it doesn't mean that women don't have their own issues, their own sexual issues. But generally, in this regard, it is more prevalent among men than among women. And Jesus is addressing this, and as I go through and I talk to men, this is for men and women, obviously. Sexual purity is for both. But there is a, there's a strong message here to us as men. All right? He says, For it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if, the next verse says, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away it's better that you lose one of your members that your whole body go into hell all right question that is asked of me so if i lust if i commit sexual sin am i going to hell is that what jesus is saying it's important for us to read the entirety of scripture not just one passage of scripture okay so turn with me over to first corinthians chapter six because first corinthians six is going to answer that for you okay 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 
we're going to begin reading down about verse 9. says, do you not know, 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Okay. Well, that, that's strong. What, what is the kingdom of God? Well, immediately we think heaven, right? When you see kingdom of God, do you think heaven? I mean, that, that's, that tends to jump into our mind. You won't inherit the kingdom of God, you won't go to heaven. Well, there is, obviously heaven is a part of the kingdom of God. When, when scripture talks about in the New Testament about the kingdom, heaven is a part of that. This life that we live after we die in relationship with God is a part of that. But that's not all that he's talking about here. As a matter of fact, do you remember that when Jesus came and he began teaching and preaching, he says, the kingdom is at hand. Remember that? Do you remember him saying, the kingdom is at hand? But the kingdom of heaven, isn't or the kingdom of God, isn't just when I die. For the believer, the kingdom of God is already here. As a matter of fact, the kingdom of God resides in you. Wherever you are, you take the kingdom of God. It says the spirit of God resides in us. It simply means that wherever Jesus is king, his kingdom is there. So when he says that the unrighteous will not inherit, there's an inheritance here. How many of you like inheritance? All right, anybody would like to have an inheritance? Anybody need a million or so today? I mean, you know, inheritances are nice, okay? If you happen to get one, whatever it might be, an inheritance is nice. I remember my grandmother, <clears throat> uh, my dad's mom, lived very poor life her whole life and, and didn't have, as a matter of fact, even in her latter years, um, when mom and dad or different family members, they would give her new stuff. She'd say, oh, that's so nice, and she would go put it in the closet or put it in a drawer and save it for when she really needed it and keep wearing her old thing or whatever. When she died, she had a closet full of brand new dresses that never had a tag taken off of them. She was saving them for when she really needed them. And that was a mindset. I'll never forget, she'd wait every month for her Social Security check, which, which I think was $197 or something. I mean, you know, whatever it was. But she'd live on that and, and with other things and on the farm, and she'd supplement and she never had a whole lot. When she died, she left me because at the time, I was, I, well, yeah, I was her only grandchild. My sister had died. And she left me a little inheritance. It wasn't a huge inheritance. You know, most of us would think, I mean, as I recall, it was, well, I know exactly what it was. I was praying at the time about a trip to Russia. I had been called by a mentor of mine. He said, Troy, I'd like for you to go with me and help serve in Russia. And I remember thinking, well, that's great, but I don't have the funds to go. I needed $2,300 to be able to do it, and I didn't have it at the time. And I could go to my parents and ask for it, but I was a grown man, and at that time, I was not working. I had been working, but I wasn't working at that time. I was doing odd and end jobs and different things, but I just didn't have $2,300. And I remember saying, Lord, if you want me to go, you're going to have to demonstrate your power in all of this. And my grandmother died, and in it, in this inheritance that she left me, was $2,300. It wasn't a lot of money. For her, it was a huge amount of money. But there's something about receiving an inheritance, and you never forget. And also, in this case, because it was used to invest in the kingdom. But inheritances are great. And the scripture says that you and I in Christ Jesus all have an inheritance. It's ours. We are the firstborn. He's the firstborn of many brethren. But we are joint heirs with him. We have a, we have a spiritual kingdom inheritance. It is ours. It is already ours. And what the Holy Spirit's saying here through the Apostle Paul is, if you live in a certain way, you're not going to experience your inheritance. You're not going to get the benefit of your inheritance. You just won't. And then he begins to list for us what that looks like. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who, who practice homosexuality. I think that's what the next thing says there. I can't read it at the bottom. And we, let's go to the next one. Or will it go? To, there we go. Nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. That's pretty strong. By the way, this is not an exhaustive list. There are eight or nine lists just like this in the New Testament. They're different. 
Some of them deal with our, our words and our speech. Some of them deal with our attitudes. They deal with different things. But in each of them, they'll say, here are some types of things that as a believer, walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, these should not be a part of your life. These should not be going, this should not be an ongoing way of living in your life. You say, well, I've done some of those things. Maybe you think, I may be doing some of those things now. What does that mean? Does that mean I don't have any inheritance? Does that mean I don't go to heaven? The scripture says that you and I have heaven because of trust and faith in Jesus Christ and what he did for us, not on our works, simply by believing in him, period. No ifs, ands, or buts, period. Notice what he says here next. And such were some of you. He said, you guys, you were involved in these things. But what happened to you? You were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified. You were washed, you were cleansed. You were sanctified, you were set apart. I like to say cleansed and committed. Not committed to a mental institution, but committed to Jesus, all right? Cleansed and committed. And then you were justified. It would take me 45 minutes to explain justification and, and try to do it justice. But in the simplest way I know how to say, think of it this way, a clean, clear conscience. You have been declared not guilty. Not guilty. Judicially, you have been declared not guilty. Jesus says all this has happened. And these activities and things did not stop that process in your life. You have been washed. You have been sanctified or set apart. You have been justified. You have been declared not guilty. That's what Jesus does for us. Now, but he goes on to say, there's an inheritance of the kingdom that you and I experience now. And if you and I continue walking in these things, first of all, I'll tell you, I'll tell you several things that happen. Number one, you'll never have assurance of your salvation if you continue to walk in these things. You just won't. I know from firsthand experience, you will wrestle with doubts about your salvation. You know why? Because the Holy Spirit within you, if you are born again, is convicting you. He's convincing you of sin, that this is wrong. And that conviction of sin feels very much like it did before you got saved, all right? And it's very difficult to walk around with the assurance of knowing that you have been born again, that Christ is your Savior, if you're continuing to walk intentionally, purposefully, walk in things that he says you should not walk in. Assurance of salvation is very, it's impossible when you and I are choosing to walk in sin. I'll tell you something else. You don't experience the love and the peace and the joy and the power and the fulfillment and the satisfaction. All the things that are your inheritance in Christ Jesus, you cannot experience. When you and I are saying, you know what? Yeah, I'm saved. I got my fire insurance, but I I like these things and I'm going to walk in them anyway. And Jesus says, if you do, you're not experiencing your inheritance. You're not living in it. You're not getting to enjoy it or participate in it. It's very important that you and I understand this. Now, let's look at what it goes on to say here. He says, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Now, I want to hit this next point because I have seen so many people justify so many wrong things because of this next verse okay so let's look at it all right all things are lawful to me but not all things are helpful you will not believe what people have told me that's okay for them to do because that verse says all things are lawful to me now that i'm now that i'm saved now that i've believed in jesus all things are lawful to me i've had people i mean you it would blow your mind what we will justify with that verse That is not what God is saying. He just said we shouldn't be involved in this whole list of things. And there are other lists that he gives. He's not saying that now that I'm saved, everything's lawful to me. It's all good. Doesn't matter. I can do whatever. I can commit adultery. I can have sex with whoever I want to. I can steal. I can lie. I can cheat. It doesn't matter. I'm saved. It's all under the blood. No, that's perversion. That is a perversion of what the New Testament teaches. He's not saying... First of all, there's two applica- there, there, there's a primary application of this because if you go back to the beginning of this chapter, he's talking about taking your brother to court. That's how 1 Corinthians 6 starts. And he's saying as believers, don't take your brother to court. Don't go sue them before a secular court. 
You deal with that within the church and resolve those issues, but don't take them to court. So when he gets here and he says all things are lawful for me, part of that is the application of what he said at the beginning. You have the right, you have the opportunity if you want. The law says that you can take your brother to court, but you're not supposed to. Don't do that. All things may be lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. This has a broader application than that, though. There are things that we were forbidden to do or would be forbidden to do under the Old Testament law that we aren't necessarily forbidden to do now. For example, there were a lot of dietary restrictions, all right, where the law said you can't do this. It was, it was sinful. It was wrong to eat certain things. One of them was pork. I love me some pig. I really do. <laughs> I am glad I'm not Jewish or Muslim. I really am. Okay, I, I love me some pig. And the scripture says in the New Testament, he says, everything's clean, all right? He's made it clean. Now, on the other hand, is pig the healthiest thing to eat? No, it's not. We know that, right? That's the reason you should only have it no more than twice a day, all right? <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, all right? All things may be lawful for me, but all things are not helpful for me. Do you understand? Do you see that? He's not talking about things that he's clearly said wrong. He's not talking about sexual sin. He's not saying, now that you're saved, all things are lawful. No. There's a broader picture of what he's talking about here. And there were things that were forbidden under the law, which now I can participate in. They're not sin per se, but they may not be beneficial. They may not help me grow spiritually either. So he goes on, all these things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything he goes on and he says, food is meant for the body. It's meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. That sounds harsh, doesn't it? It sounds like God's just waiting to whoop, I'm gonna zap it with a bolt of lightning. That's really not what this Greek word means. The word that's translated destroy there literally means it just will cease to be. In other words, you have a need for food. The body has a need. One day that will all cease. What he's saying is, I want you to experience your kingdom inheritance. I want you to be fruitful in ways that are eternal, not temporal. I want you to focus your life on that which is going to last, not which, that which is going to pass away. And the problem that we have in any of these, these temptations to sin, whether it would be overeating or whether it would be sexual sin or all these things that appeal to our bodies, to our flesh, he's saying they're a temporary sort of thing. Some would say, you know, don't do those things because sin's no fun. Well, the fact is sin is fun for a season. That's what scripture says. It is, it is pleasure for a season, but it doesn't last. It's a temporary sort of thing. And, and what is the, the scripture saying? I want you to give your life and your time and your energy to that which will last. Things you eat, it'll pass away. The sexual pleasure that, that you engaged in illicitly, it will pass away. And it'll leave scars along with it but I want you to be engaged in that which is eternal. I want to stop for a minute and talk to you about the way you think and the way I think, okay? Because Jesus, when he started this whole thing, he says, if you lust after him in your heart, and the word literally there for lust is, if you take the two words, one of the words there is for the mind. It's how we think. It's this longing within. The challenge that you and I have, well, let me give you, a, I'm going to give you a Bible quiz before I tell you what our challenge is. All right, you ready for your Bible quiz? Romans 12.2. Can you tell me what Romans 12.2 says? Without looking at your phone or your Bible, what is Romans 12.2? That's it. That's the end of it. Be transformed. The first part says, be not conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind that you may prove what is a good, acceptable, perfect will of God. Be not conformed. Be transformed. Can I tell you something? We are all being conformed to the world unless the Holy Spirit is actively transforming us. You and I right now are being conformed to the world unless the Holy Spirit is actively transforming us. I want you to look at the person on your right and say, he's talking to you right now, okay? Tell him, he's talking to you, all right? Turn to the person on your left, tell him, he's talking to you. And if you don't have anybody on your right or left, look at me. I'm talking to you. 
all right? Because you're sitting there thinking, yeah, he's talking to my neighbor, all right? He's not talking to me. No, we are all being conformed right now unless the Spirit is transforming us. We are being conformed. How are we being conformed? Let me show you three. And this is as old as the world itself, as old as people. These three ways, we have new terms for it now. But these three ways of thinking, these three ways of, these three worldviews, if you will, have been influencing men and, men and women for all time. The first is hedonism. Hedonism. You say, what in the world is hedonism? In simple terms, hedonism is, if it feels good, do it. That's hedonism. If it feels good, do it. It's what you see in Genesis when it says, when, when they were saying in the days of Noah, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Life is short. Grab all the gusto you can. All right? If it feels good, do it. Doesn't matter what it is. Doesn't matter who it hurts. Just, if it feels good, do it. That's hedonism. It is a comfort-based worldview. It is a pleasure. As a matter of fact, in hedonism, pleasure is God. Whatever brings me comfort and pleasure is my God. Now you say, okay, I see that, and you're talking about in sexual ways. That's one way to apply it, but this has a much broader application. When I don't develop relationships that the Holy Spirit would have me involved in because it's not comfortable to me, that's hedonism. When I decide I don't want to gather with God's people because it's inconvenient, that's hedonism. And again, you know me, I'm not a legalist, I'm not beating you over the head. I'm simply saying that there are things that the Spirit of God would call us to do and ways He would want to work in us for His kingdom's sake, and often we don't do it because it's uncomfortable, because it won't bring me pleasure. I remember when we first started talking about the Peru trip, and Katie immediately, she wanted to go, and because her middle name is Go, it wouldn't matter where they were going. I think if they were going to hell, she'd want to go. I mean, but it, at least on the back row to look, you know. She just likes to go, all right? She's always been that way. Andrew's like me. He does not like to go anywhere. I want to go home. That's the only place I want to go is home, all right? So I remember talking to him and saying, hey, bud, what do you think about that? I don't want to go, which I expected. I fully expected him. I was like, that's fine. I'm not going to make you go, and I don't pray. but I would like you to pray about it. And he said, okay, I prayed about it. I don't want to go. And, well, let's pray again. And this way, pray and ask, if God, if the reason you don't want to go is because you think it'll be a little uncomfortable, it'll stretch you out of your comfort zone. And that's the reason you don't want to go. It's not because God doesn't want you to go. It's not because he wouldn't do some things in you and through you. It's just, it's, it'll be unpleasant to you. It's, it's not comfortable. He came back in a little while and he said, I think I'm supposed to go. And, and I thought so too, honestly, because he's a lot like me in that regard. It's just uncomfortable. This is hedonism, folks. It's conforming all of us unless the Holy Spirit's confronting it in our lives. If you ask him right now, I bet you he'd show you in your own life where you're choosing comfort over his plan for you. That's hedonism. Hedonism leads to another way of thinking which is humanism humanism is basically man is God in hedonism pleasure is God in humanism man is God um, humanism is man can figure out what truth is man knows what, what is right and what is wrong man knows how to bring about his own redemption and salvation that's humanism. It's a little different than hedonism in the sense that it's not just completely pleasure-oriented. As a matter of fact, humanism is so deceptive, humanism will convince itself that it's doing what it does for the other person. Even in things that, let's take this whole sexual issue that we've been talking about. So, in, hum, in hedonism, it's just, hey, I want this. It'll bring pleasure. It'll feel good. Let's do it. All right? Humanism is more of, you know what? We're made this way. I'm made this way. You're made this way. And you know what? I sense in you a need for this. It's not really about me. It's more about you and the need I sense in you. And I want to help meet that need. All right? Sounds altruistic, right? It's human philosophy. It's human reasoning. It is... 
Man decides in his own eyes what's right and what's wrong. God is not any part of it. The humanist does not want God to be part of it. It is about human beings and their version of truth. Every man does what is right in his own eyes. Hedonism, humanism, and then the last one is relativism. Relativism. Relativism is different than the first two in the sense that there are no absolutes. There is no such thing as absolute truth in relativism. Everyone chooses their own truth. Your truth is for you, and my truth is for me, and, and they can both be true. Let me ask you, what if my truth says that I should come to your house and take everything that you belong because I need it and I want it, and that's my truth? What if your truth says, no, I'm going to shoot you and keep you from doing it? All right, our truths are now in conflict, aren't they? But in a relativistic world, that world philosophy, both would be true. They're not both true, are they? They can't both, those two truths cannot coexist. That's relativism. And you see it everywhere in our culture now. Everybody gets to decide their own truth. It's chaos. Always has been, always will be when everyone gets to decide their own truth. I want to show you how this works in a practical way. Because these build on each other. You'll find that you move from hedonism to humanism to relativism. Even in your own thought process. Again, we are all being conformed to this unless the Holy Spirit is actively engaged and we're surrendering, we're submitting to that and allowing him to transform the way we think we're all being conformed to hedonism, to humanism, and to relativism. I was having a conversation with one of my children recently. And they wanted to do something and I said, no, I don't want you doing that. I think you need to do this. And this is more important. This is a priority. They're happening at the same time, and this is a priority. They didn't like that answer. And so their response to me is, I don't feel like doing that, what you want me to do. That's hedonism. I don't feel like it. It's not going to be comfortable to me. It's not going to be pleasant to me. I don't want to do that because it, it, it's not about my comfort and my pleasure. It's hedonism. So, as we're having this conversation, now, I'm learning as I go through this as well, because my, my natural instinct is to come back with a humanistic response, which is, I don't care what you want to do. My, I'm your dad, you live in my house, I pay for everything in your life, you're going to do what I tell you to do, all right? You can do that. You can do that to a point for a time. Did you hear me? You can do that to a point for a time. But that point in time will one day cease, and you will not be able to dominate them that way. So it would be much better to be led by the Holy Spirit to have a conversation with them and to help lead them to truth if they're willing to be led. And even there, you don't have control of that. And so I began to point out to this child that this was, I didn't use the term hedonism, but I said, this, you know, you're operating just on what you feel, your comfort, your pleasure. But what if God has a bigger plan in all of this and how he wants to use you? And you can, you can be there. God can do something supernatural in you, which is take you to a place you don't want to go and work through you to be an encouragement to someone else, to care about other people. So this child's response to me was, all right, I'll go, but I'm not going to talk to anybody. I'm, I'm going to be there, but I'm not talking to anybody. Basically, I'm going to go pout, all right, but I'm not going to talk to anybody. Well, I said, well, what about so-and-so? Because I know they're close to this person. Well, I'll talk to them, but I won't talk to anybody else. Okay, all right, okay. I said, well, why is it that you're not going to talk to anyone? Well, I'm just going to be quiet because if I say anything, I'll say something mean, and then I'll be in trouble for that. So it's just better that I don't say anything. This, folks, is humanism, okay? Man has decided his own truth. He's decided what's right and wrong, and 
in this child's mind, the only two options available to this child was either be silent and pout or open my mouth and be mean. That were the only two options. There were no other options available. Humanism basically puts the boundaries around it and says, these are the only options available to me, so I'm going to pick the lesser of two evils here. I'm going to pick what's right in this situation and, as opposed to what's wrong. I'm not going to do the wrong thing and say something mean. I'm just going to pout and be silent. This is humanism. We do this all the time. We basically say it's either this or this, and we pick the lesser. We create a false scenario and then decide the lesser of two evils and think we're right in doing it, think we're justified in doing it. So, again, I didn't, I didn't point this out as humanism. I just, I'm, I, it's funny because I'm preparing this message in the back of my mind as I'm having this conversation. I mean, it's, it's like picture perfect just laid out here in front of me. And I'm picking on my child. Matter of fact, I've had this conversation or ones like it with all of my children. But the fact is, I've had these same thought processes myself. I've done the very same thing. And so have you. And so I point out again the fact, well, you've set up a scenario here where your only two options is either be silent and pouty or speak and be mean. Okay? Though you set those up as the only two options. What if there was another option? What if there was a surrender to the Holy Spirit and his work in your life and let him do something supernatural through you that you can't even imagine right now that you don't feel like doing and you don't think, believe you can do, but he would do something that's beyond what you, can, what you feel like doing or what you think you can do? Because hedonism, humanism, feel, think. The response to me was you know what, that may, be, that may be true. I mean, God might want to do that. But this situation is different. And then that child proceeded to throw their mother under the bus. All right? Okay? Which is not a good tactic with me, okay? Because I will defend her to the death, all right? So it's not a good tactic with me to throw your mother under the bus. But basically the child was, that would be right, but not in this situation because... Mom didn't tell me what she should have told me. And if she told me what she should have told me, then none of this would have ever happened to start with. So that may be true, but not in this situation. That's relativism. Some of you are smiling because this happened in your home this week, all right? You know. And so we walked through this whole process, and I simply prayed. I often will invite my children to pray with me. Usually in this state, they're not much for praying. Um, so I pray for them. And then I say, you know, we're going to go ahead and do this, but there's an opportunity here. You could go and be pouty and silent or mean and hurtful, or you could allow God to do the third option in you, which is to do something supernatural in the way you feel and the way you think and be able to bless others through you, which is what he wants to do. Folks, we are being conformed to hedonism and humanism and relativism unless we are surrendering to the Holy Spirit on a daily basis and asking us, asking him to change that in us. Look at these last verses. Skip down to verse 18 with me in chapter 6, 1 Corinthians 6. Look at verse 18 with me. I think it's there. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. I don't have time to develop that this morning, but that is a true statement. And if we had time for testimony, you would hear heart-breaking testimony of how true that is. That is a true, true statement. Look at the next verse with me. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? This is the truth that was broader than, than hedonism and humanism and relativism. This truth says you have been bought with a price. The Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit resides within you and nothing is impossible 
nothing, no sin is impossible to overcome. No, situa- no thought process is impossible to break. No lie is too big to not be cast down and replaced with the truth. Why? Because you and I are able? Because we're tough? Because we're smart? Because, because we have strong wills? No. Because the Spirit of God resides within us. What is Paul saying? He's saying all of these ways of thinking may come against you, but you need to understand that the power at work within you is greater than everything else at work around you. But you must submit to it. Can I tell you, you want to live in freedom in your thought life? You want to live in freedom in the way you think from hedonism and humanism and relativism? If I want to live that way, there are two keys. One is I will to do so. I will to do so. I will to believe God and submit to what he says. Now, I'm not accomplishing this by my will. Don't hear me say that. I'm not saying this is the power of positive thinking. I'm simply saying that you and I have been given the ability because God made us in his image. He's given us the ability to say, you know what? I'm going to believe God even though everything in me wants to believe something else. I'm going to believe him. I don't feel that way yet. I don't necessarily think that way. I don't necessarily want that, but I believe him. I'm going to believe him. By an act of my will, I choose to believe him. I'm going to believe him that when he says something is sin and it's wrong, it's sin and it's wrong. It's not good for me. I'm going to believe him. And then number two, I'm going to constantly surrender to the spirit within me to transform me. And it, like this, and let me give you one example and I'll close with this. Matter of fact, Lori, why don't you come play? I'll close with this. I want to show you how this works. Because an illustration is worth a thousand words. All right? I like sweet tea. Okay? I mean, I, I love sweet tea. I grew up with it. As a child, they put it with an IV into my veins. Okay? We had it just about every meal. I grew up in Mississippi. It was just, it was part of life. And I like, it is comforting to me. It is pleasing to me to drink sweet tea. I really like it. Okay? Hedonism. All right? It's pleasing. I like it. Now, I know in my mind and in my, in my reasoning that having a copious amount of sugar is not a good thing, okay? And some would say, well, just drink the tea unsweetened. That is blasphemy, all right? <laughs> that is blasphemy, all right? I know, some of, you, some of you are sitting there judging me, but if we were to take time to deal with your issue, you'd quit judging me, all right? We're dealing with me right now. We'll deal with you later. All right? So I'm thinking in my mind, I shouldn't, I shouldn't have a lot of sugar. I should not drink sweet tea. I should probably drink more water. don't like water. I like sweet tea. <laughs> sweet tea's good. Water's not so good. then my mind says, you know, it's just who you are. You were raised this way. It's in your blood. This is humanism. It's just who you are. You can't help it. You, were, you can't help where you were born and the parents that you had and the family you were born. You can't help any of that. It's just who you are. It's humanism. It's man coming up with his own truth. And then... And then it's, well, I, I, I discipline myself in other areas, in other things. Okay, I'm going I'm to do, do a good job over here. I'm going to discipline myself over here. You know, some people love this kind of thing. I don't like that kind of thing. I mean, that's, you know, some people love this, and it's got lots of calories in it, and I don't like any of that. I don't do it. So, again, my situation's different. The circumstances are different. So what might be truth isn't truth here, because my situation, my circumstances are different. That's relativism. The other day, I was having this conversation with the Lord, just like this. I was going right through this process as I was drinking my sweet tea. 
I was going through this. And the Holy Spirit was speaking to me. And I simply asked, I said, Lord, I do love this. I really do. I just about give up eating to have tea. But what do you want to say to me? What do you want to do? And the Holy Spirit began to speak to my heart and say, you know what? I want to transform you so that you don't have the same desire. I want to give you different desires. And I'm like, good luck with that one, Lord. <laughs> Go ahead, give it your best shot. And the Lord reproved me for my lack of faith. And I said, Lord, I'm, I'm willing for you to do that in me. Because I can't do this. I've had seasons where I quit drinking tea. And even now, I drink way less than I used to. But I still like it. I still, I love it. Can I tell you what's happened over the last couple of weeks? There have been numerous times where I went to fill my glass with tea, and all of a sudden I had a desire to drink water. And I think aliens took over my body. <laughs> you say, Troy, this is silly. It may be. But it's serious because it's been a part of my life for 50 years. Well, not quite. I'm 50 now, but almost 50 years. But I can tell you what God's doing right now is he's changing my desires. I still have my glass of tea every now and then. But he's changing my desires. And more often than not, he's giving me a desire and say, hey, why don't you fill that with water? It's good for you. You need it. I'm, I'll satisfy you with it. I'm telling you, this is what the Holy Spirit wants to do in every area of our life. You say, what about those lustful thoughts? What about that sexual sin? What about those attitudes that just stink? What about the words that I use in my tongue where I cut people up? I have a will to say, God, I'll believe you in what you say. That these things should not control me. They shouldn't have, a, they shouldn't have power in my life. And then I will daily surrender to your spirit to empower me to want different things. Not just to stop doing something else, but to want new things. That's transformation, folks. That's not confirmation. That's not being conformed, which the world does. It kind of forms us into its mold. He says, I transform you and give you something totally new. That's what he wants to do. Will you let him? Will you work with him? Will you cooperate? Say, Lord, I'm willing. Holy Spirit, change me. Why don't you bow your heads with me? Would you speak to us this morning, Lord? In all of our hearts and all of our lives, specific things that you want to talk to today. Lord, I pray against the lies of the enemy right now where he would come in and say, this isn't true, or even if it is, it doesn't apply to you. Lord, we stand against that in the name of the blood of Jesus Christ right now. The enemy has no place here. Holy Spirit, this is your kingdom. This is your place. You have authority here. We surrender to that. I surrender to it. I pray for each one here that right now you'd pour out your grace and they too would surrender to you. Their will, choosing your will. Their desire being you and what you want to say and what you want to do. I pray, Lord, that you would move in a powerful way right now and that they would say yes. Yes, Lord, I hear you, I agree with you, and I ask you to transform this thing in my life. Transform it. I know I'm your child, I know I've been born again, I've believed in Jesus, I know that, but I want to be transformed every day, every part of my life, every part of my being transformed so that I look like you, Jesus, so that I speak like you, 
I watch what you watch. I hear what you hear. I say what you say. I go where you go. Lord, would you give us a revelation today that even as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6, that we take you with us wherever we go, even when we go places you wouldn't, we take you with us. You said it in harsh terms there, Lord. It's almost hard to even think about that. He said, would you join the Lord Jesus to a prostitute? That's just a horrible thought. And yet, Lord, every day we take you places. And Lord, some of those places you probably wouldn't go, but you go in us. Lord, give us a greater revelation of that. Break our hearts with it. And then, Lord, cause us to believe that we don't fix this by trying harder to do better. We fix this by believing you and surrendering to you and your work in us. Lord, work in your people today. And we give you praise and honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to stand. I'm going to ask my prayer partners to come to the front. We're going to dismiss here in just a moment. But like we do at every service, we, we're here. If there's anything in your life we can pray with you about, doesn't matter what it is, we can pray with you about. That's what we want to do. Because we don't believe we have the answers, but we know the one who does. We don't have the power, but we know the one who does. And so we go talk to him, and we ask him to do this. So as we dismiss this morning, if you need prayer about anything, we're here at the front. We're glad to do that and to pray with you. Uh, thank you just thank you for your openness and your hunger for the word and for the Lord to work and move I sense it when I'm with you and I, pr I praise God for that thank you and I would tell you also just in a word of testimony if you go to my car right now there's a big cup of ice water in my car right now all right